I invite you to share in our scripture reading this morning from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, 24 through 37. Jesus said, in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So, also, when you see these things taking place, you will know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. My friends, it's a delight to be with you in worship. I suspect that you all had wonderful Thanksgivings. I'm so happy for you to be able to be here today, those of you who could be here today. As you no doubt are aware, we have opened up our sanctuary to our board for in-person worship for up to 20 people. But on the 13th of December, we're going to open up to anybody who's interested and wants to sign up. So if you're interested in coming to service in person, uh, right now, we're in the phase where we can have up to 20 folks, and so keep on the lookout and for registrations on our website. Again, on the 13th, it's going to become open for all, and we do want to do our best to make sure that we're offering what we can for your spiritual needs. Again, it is a joy to be with you in worship, and it's a joy to be with you in spirit for those of you who are at home. Let's all turn our, heart, our hearts together in prayer to God. Holy Spirit, descend now upon us wherever we are, that your scriptures would be illuminated to our minds, that we would receive some fresh message. Keep us awake and alert. Help us keep our eyes fixed upon your coming into our world, that we may be able to go in your grace and wisdom, that we may take your gospel where we go. Be with us now for you, and I know that without you I can do nothing. We ask that your Spirit translate this text, plant it in our hearts, and produce much fruit. 
It is in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, and God's people say together, Amen. Happy Advent. This is the first Sunday in Advent, and I don't know about you, but that gets me thinking a lot about baseball. What does a winter holiday season have to do with baseball, you might be asking? Well, what is Advent? It seems like every year we come to Advent, we come to that first Sunday, and we read a text like this, and we think to ourselves, how on earth does that have anything to do with a baby Jesus? What does that have to do with God's light coming into the dark world? What does this have to do with coming up to a manger? We read a story. It's kind of startling, but it's one that sums up the entire spirit of Advent. Be prepared. Be ready. Be watchful. My dad coached a lot of my Little League baseball teams, and every summer I can hear his words just like on repeat. As we would take the field, he would say, defense, ready positions. And of course, we'd put our gloves toward the ground expecting ground balls to come flying to us, and we'd be ready. One time, I was at shortstop, Diamond 3, Sinewick Park. It was a rough field. There was a lot of rocks. It hadn't been dug well, drug well, and there I was. The baseball got hits me really hard, hard and true. So I get in my position, and that ball is, it's screaming at me, and it's <laughs> bouncing, and I get a little intimidated. So I think what I'll do is I'll take a step back maybe. So maybe the ball, when it bounces, it will come right up into my glove. But instead, I bring my glove up off the dirt, and that ball goes right under my glove. We get the ball back in from the outfield. We settle down, and I can hear my dad say, you got played by the ball. You got to play the ball, son. Don't let the ball play you. I think this passage is when Jesus teaches disciples something. You got to play life. Don't let life play you. There's a lot going on in the world. Keep focused. Be in the ready position. Watch. Be awake. In this passage, Jesus and the disciples are looking at the beauty of the temple, and then he tells them something startling. They're going to see it collapse one day. And then he goes on further to talk about something that seems more cataclysmic than a temple going down. He talks about the end of one age and the beginning of another age, when the kingdom of God is here in full. And he's got all this apocalyptic language of moons not shining and darkness, and it's terrifying, really. A lot of scholars have read this over the years and said there's at least two things going on. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. And we know that happens in A.D. 70, when the Romans come in and they sack Jerusalem, and they tear the temple down, and they kill a lot of people. But now it sounds like he's also talking about this kingdom business, when God's kingdom would finally be restored to Israel. Some scholars have surmised that this is prophecy near and far. Near, the temple will fall, and that does happen. So, Jesus telling them to be in their ready positions, watching, remaining awake. Well, that's good practical advice because they're going to be in danger in their lifetime. But this other stuff about 
the coming of some kingdom where, where heaven and earth will be restored, when the fullness of what God wants will be here, that seems like it's far off prophecy. That's how a lot of people read it. I confess that's not how I read it. You see, I think Jesus is talking about something before his second coming. I think he's talking about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. That comes first. And that's when the powder keg of God's kingdom really fires off in the world. When God overturns death with love, and when God brings his son, the Messiah, the kingdom bringer, to sit next to him at his right hand, throne of glory. Why do I think that? Well, Jesus quotes a passage here. He quotes from the book of Daniel, and he talks about his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man. Some suppose that that is just a, a way that Jesus describes himself as being brought up in the human family and through the human race. But if you go back and look at Daniel, there's this really wild, trippy story. It's got monsters in it. These monsters, it's told later in Daniel, are representative of these kingdoms of the world. And then one, like a son of man, takes a Louisville slugger, that's what it says in Hebrew, takes a Louisville slugger and knocks down the monsters, knocks over the empires of the world. And then it says that this one rides on the clouds coming to the ancient of days. We tend to read that image and think about the Son of Man, Jesus, coming to us on the clouds, coming to be here. But the language is actually that he's going to be with the ancient of days, God the Father. You see, as Jesus tells the story, he is here. He's with us. I think this isn't about the second coming. I think this is about the beginning, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And it makes sense. The biblical scholar N.T. Wright says that this language is really about Jesus' own vindication. What's that mean? Well, if you follow the Gospels with any uh, steadiness, he's been walking around saying that he's the Messiah, the one to bring the kingdom of God, that God's his Father, and people routinely reject him. In fact, they kill him. So vindication comes. He's proven right as he comes out of a grave, and now as he ascends to be with God the Father, this is a giant piece of proof that he is who he said he was. He tells the disciples they're not going to know when all this is to pass. He doesn't even know. So you got to keep watch. You got to keep your eyes open. In the case of the temple, it's for your own self-preservation. In the case of the kingdom, well, you don't want to miss out on that. Keeping watch is important in baseball. We used to, uh, when I was in high school, this is a really old mitt, by the way, I got from my sophomore year of high school baseball, and here it is. We used to run from our high school to a field nearby because we didn't have a field on campus, and it was in a really, really rough neighborhood. So we jogged there, and we start playing catch, and I was playing with a good buddy, just sitting on the field, and up just on the basketball courts up the hill there, there's a couple kids from school smoking marijuana. I was a straight-laced guy, so <laughs> I couldn't believe they were doing it. There's teachers and coaches right over there. I'm just too nervous to get into that kind of business, and so I'm watching them a little bit, admiring their, their guts, I guess. 
my partner playing catch held the ball and talked to someone over here for a moment. So I took my eyes away from him and started watching those guys from school. He took the ball again. So I looked up that hill again, and then I heard it. Long bonds, look out. Turned my head this way. Got cracked right in the face with a baseball. <sighs> Coach shook his head. Long bonds, keep your eye on the ball. Someone yelled out. He did, <laughs> literally. I thought I heard one of my braces pop. I knew I was going to be in trouble at home. We started walking the neighborhood to see if anyone had ice. My eye was already turning black and blue, and people's doors had bars on them. It was in a good neighborhood, and they didn't want to answer the door and give some young student ice. It would turn 40 shades of yellow and green by the time that black eye went away. Jesus tells his disciples they have to keep their eyes open, or they might get hit with something devastating, or they might miss something beautiful of the kingdom coming. Later, though, he tells them that they must stay awake. Not in a literal sense, I don't think, because our bodies need sleep. I think this is an attitude of being awake. In liturgical circles, we have this word for it. It's called keeping vigil, keeping watch, waiting to see how God is freshly going to break in the midst. And there are ways that we can fall asleep spiritually take our eye off the ball, as it were, but get in a state of just spiritual drowsiness. Perhaps it's because we're spending so much time in social media, or maybe we're just keeping our head in the news too much. We're not attuned to how God is moving, or maybe it is just that we have developed a deep sense of apathy, acadia, as it's said in Latin, a listlessness, there's too many problems in the world. Things aren't going the way I want them to go. The world isn't what I expected. I'm disappointed. And so we fall asleep. Got to be careful not to fall asleep. When I was in college, I played in a national softball tournament. We were really good. And um, I was playing right field. True confession. We were doing well in the tournament, but I was really interested in this group of girls that came to see me play, some of my friends. As I was standing out in right field, the girls kind of walked by as they went to the bleachers. They said, hi, Jared. I waved at them, thinking I was pretty cool. Just kind of mostly focused on them for a few moments, thinking nobody who bats right-handed in slow-pitch softball hits the ball to the right field. This doesn't happen. And as I'm waving at the girls, I hear a clink, and I look up. There's that moment of nerves if you play in the outfield and you hear a clink and you don't see where the ball goes. You look up because it could be anywhere. It could be left field, center field, or right field. I hear my name, Long Bonds, called out by somebody on the field, and that ball is screaming my way. And because it was a right-handed batter hitting it to right field, that means there's a great deal of spin on the ball, and so I start off running. And I'm tracking the ball down, but I didn't get a good jump because I was asleep, basically. The ball was within reach. I laid out. It was totally impressive. you got to believe that. Laid out only to have that ball hit the tip of this glove part, right this web right here, and roll out of the foul line. If I paid attention and gotten a decent jump on the ball, it would have been right here. Not only would I have gotten the out, but it would have looked cool. <laughs> 
Jesus says, don't fall asleep. Keep your eyes open. It's for your own good. But it's not just because danger is coming. It's because something fresh from God is coming. And I wonder, I wonder how often we are falling asleep and closing our eyes. Yes, we talk a lot about a lot is out here that can distract us. But I think when we go through social and pressures like we're facing, I think it's really easy to to just put tunnel vision on or blinders or to get caught up in a listlessness of the soul. We're going through a pandemic. My friend always says, forgive me, it's my first one. I'm trying to figure it out. Me too. But we're in good company. You know that, right? These first Christians had their own share of problems. Rome was coming to sack Jerusalem, and many would be killed. The Christians, generation after generation, saw wars and rumors of wars and famines and genocides. They saw pestilence and disease. They saw all kinds of persecution that you and I really can't even imagine. Yet, the message to a disciple is, inherent in the heart of a disciple is a watchfulness. How is God breaking in? It's a wakefulness. How can you take the goodness of God to address these tough, tough situations that our world gives us? We're not alone, but we got to keep our eyes open. It seems like everybody in Decatur, Illinois, my hometown, is getting COVID and getting it badly. It's out of control there. And there's someone I know who is a teacher who got it, and thankfully they reported that the only symptom they really have is the loss of taste, so I'm really happy they're not going, undergoing a lot of stress like other people's bodies have. And uh, I heard the report from her. She said, uh, we, just, we just let our guard down. That's interesting. We do let our guards down a lot, especially in pandemics. We're worse off than we were in March and April, but we're more open than we are. That's a strange thing, but that's where we're at psychologically. There's a psychologist talking on the radio yesterday just about how normal this is. We get tired, disillusioned, pandemic fatigue. In fact, there was an article that Reverend Wartman and I read together earlier this uh, season that talked about the three stages of uh, dealing with tragedies. The first stage is this. The first stage is a radical coming together. Think about post 9-11, the days after, how we felt Think about how we all felt here. We all knew that this was kind of obscenely crazy experience, but people were kind of together. Boy, I miss that. And then the second thing was this kind of valorization of heroes. And so I can remember earlier on this pandemic, people driving to hospitals, honking horns, celebrating the, the medical workers, and rightly so. And then we started in worship having words of gratitude, and I think that meant a heck of a lot more than it does now back then. We're tired. You've entered the third phase now, and we've been in it for a long time. It's called pandemic delusion. We're all over it, even though it's not over us. Hey, I'm not preaching to you about a pandemic, but here's what I am saying. We're living in a world where it's really easy to take our eyes off of what Christ has asked us to put our eyes on. Real easy for us to fall asleep and not see how God is coming in freshly into our world and not see how God has given us spiritual resources to take to the world. I have fatigue. We all have fatigue. 
But let Advent be that reminder. It's time to open our eyes. It's time to look. It's time to remain awake. It's time to look at the signs and see God moving. Because God is still moving. And God wants to move you and me to build up a world shaped by his kingdom. Don't fall asleep.